I went fishing for my father, part one. I went fishing for the first time in many years on a clear March, windy, mid-60s temperature day. I've never been a fisherman. And try as I might, I couldn't bring myself to fish again with my father as an adult. I always envisioned that it would be like the ending of the movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall called The Judge. They're at war with each other, and then by the end, they make peace, and the very end, they go fishing, and the father dies on the boat. But even a few years ago, when my father was on his little motorized scooter over at the pavilion fishing, his Parkinson's disease so advanced he could barely cast his line, and he asked me to bait his hook. It disgusted me. It was smelly, there was a worm wriggling as I was trying to get it on the hook. Dad's fingers were dirty and his nails were yellowed. I would have preferred to cut his throat with that pocket knife that he used to slice up the bait than to do this. Then, as he cast his line, he said, Well, I guess I'm the last of the fishermen. It's going to end with me. And I stood there with my brother, and he went on. Dad fished, Larry fished, but he's gone, Glenn's gone. You know, it was Father's Day, and I should have been better, but I just snapped. Why is fishing the very definition of what makes somebody a good son? I mean, a lot of people in the world don't ever fish or live on the water, and they're perfectly fine people. Why does someone's worth and a family lineage have to do with whether they like to fish? His blue eyes got big, and he flinched. Oh, hell, I, I didn't mean it that way. I just meant uh, I was the last. Uh, we don't need to be fishing. Let, let's go on back. Hell, that's okay. I'm done. Let's go on back to the condo. And as we packed up his tackle box and line... He said, I told your mother we started you boys too early out on the water. That's our mistake. We walked back to the condo while he was on his scooter in silence up Highway 59. And we got inside and we just pretended like no crosswords had been said. I wanted to remind him about the time I accidentally hit him with the catfish, which I had caught. And then I swung the pole into the boat, and a saltwater catfish sting is definitely bad. He cursed at me, and he got out of the boat and waded to shore, which was probably really only about 50 yards away. I mean, we were still closer than the end of the last wharf a few houses down. But that shame of being left in the boat humiliated the other families on shore with sons no knowing how to fish looking at me. And then there was a time at Perdido Bay when he tried to initiate me. In hindsight, he was in an undiagnosed bipolar episode. But he took this fish hook and he intentionally wanted to cut my finger with it and stick the hook into the skin. He was saying something about it being a ritual with his father and I, I just screamed no and then I think my brother ran off too and you know, I just remember saying, I, I don't want to be cut. Even a small cut is a ritual. 
in the last days of his life, and I mean the very last with hospice and all, his mouth started to make these shapes like, like a fish does. You can't see them now, but they're like O-shaped. And then his eyes stopped closing, which is also like a fish. Perfect. Part two. A little over a year after he died, and maybe it's eight years since that incident, and I'm renting a rod and reel, squid bait, and casting my line off the Malibu Pier. I'd spent hours researching where to go fishing, and in the end, this wasn't the closest pier, but you don't need a fishing license to fish off of a county pier. And also it just felt right, because why can't I fish the way I want to? I mean, the fishing doesn't have to be a Jimmy Buffett cheeseburger in paradise song. Guess what? There's other ways to fish, nicer places like Malibu. And although I didn't eat at the nice restaurant there on the pier, I could have. And I could have had a latte if I wanted to while I fished, not a beer. My heart was racing as I walked out onto the pier, past the restaurant, past the benches, to the shop at the end. Yeah, I couldn't even go in right away to the bait and tackle shop. I milled about on the deck above and I pretended I was looking at the cafe's menu out there and then I went into the shop and I looked at the souvenir stuff like from the surf shop. Finally, you know, I had that feeling Probably many of you have had the first time you buy condoms or birth control or your guy feminine hygiene products for a girlfriend or a friend, you know, a female friend. It was just that feeling of, uh, so I stepped up to the register and this woman was very nice and I waited for her to come back because I could tell she'd be nice. And I said very quickly, I, I called about a rod and reel and I, you rent them for two hours for $25. So I'm assuming you still have one because I called and, uh, and I'll need bait. And uh, it's, <laughs> she was very kind and we walked out and I, she gave me the selection of, of reels. She suggested one in particular that people caught fish with. And that's the one I took. And I picked squid bait because they were out of shrimp, which is less nasty than some of the other bait. So once I was situated with the rod and reel, bait and a knife, and a little bucket for all the slime and guts to go in, I found a spot at the end of the opposite side of where another fisherman was. And he was a man that looked a lot like my father and who I knew would not want me fishing close by. I remembered how possessive my father would get when he thought people were, quote, stealing his fish, fishing by him, that is. I was casting with the wind behind me and making sure my line did not get tangled around the wharf. Oh, Brantley, not again. And not taking anyone else out and hitting them in the face. Jesus H. Christ, Brantley, pay attention. I lost the bait like half a dozen times. Don't cast the line so goddamn hard and that won't happen. Even I knew why I'd lost the bait. The hook wasn't the right size and the sinker was too heavy. As they say, hook, line, and sinker. I had already exchanged the rod and reel once because they had given me lures, and I'm pretty sure that you only use either lures or bait. So I googled it, and the first response in Reddit was from someone tagged Alabama Gulf Coast Fisherman. Sure enough, as I thought I remembered correctly, it's rare that you use both. You use one or the other. So I had politely exchanged the reel, 
And I also did not point out their own ineptitude at the rental counter and how I had wasted $7.95 on squid when in fact I could have just used the rod and reel with the lure. And I gave myself points for not doing exactly what had been done to me. While the frozen squid are kind of gross, they weren't nearly as gross as the worms, crickets, and other bait. Although I began to feel nauseated because there's a particular smell on a fishing pier because of all that live bait, rotting fish smell, and a particular appearance of a fishing pier or any sort of area where there are a lot of unwashed, grimy, alcoholic, undiagnosed bipolar fishermen. The planks of the pier are often stained with years, decades of fish guts and blood and slime and sliced up bait that no rainfall can wash away. There's always fish scales and pieces of fins and cartilage that even the birds haven't eaten. And there's lots of dark cuts in the wood etchings and carvings from thousands of fish being sliced open and worms and shrimp and squid all sliced up. And since there are always birds, birds shit. There were so few people on this workday, and I, I, don't, I did know how to dress, that is. I was completely comfortable in the wind and the chill, and the most amazing thing is that I wore utility gloves. It made all the difference with the bait. Why in the hell didn't they let us use gloves as a kid? I mean, no one, not my father, not his friends, Pete, Joe, not my stepfather. It was something about you had to do it with your bare hands or you were a sissy if you cleaned fish wearing gloves. Gloves probably would have helped keep the fish from slipping away and going back into the water. God damn it, Brantley. Well, there went your share of supper. You only get corn and okra. I told you to hold the fish down and slice up. That'll teach you. It was getting windier and hotter, so I moved to the south side of the pier that was shaded. The Marine Patrol came by and I gave a wave which is customary in the South, but perhaps not here on the West Coast. People always wave to each other on the boats down on the Gulf and the Bay. One of the things I'd forgotten about that's so nice. My mother would sit at the bow of a boat as we drove down Magnolia Springs or Fish River. She was the queen waving to people like we were on a Mardi Gras float. And then sometimes we'd pass another float with a queen on their bow and we'd wave back. People would wave from their wharves, White, black, everybody seemed friendlier out on the water. But the Malibu police did not wave back. There was only an occasional tourist who came and went, and then this Hispanic, East L.A. kind of cool guy, like Fast and the Furious, you know, and his girlfriend rounded the corner, and suddenly he apologized to me. Oh, sorry, man. He realized I was fishing. And it was like I had some instantaneous cred for fishing. Uh, no problem, I said acting like I was covering up being annoyed that they come around the corner, because my father would have been annoyed, because it is true that shadows and noise spook fish. But really, I was just not wanting any eyes upon me, which was why I had picked that side. So I could fish unobserved. It was a bad fishing day, because not only were there no other fishermen out there, but the one who had been on the other side had left. And I hadn't had a single bite, but I had all this frozen squid yet to use, and it was thawing out in the sun. But like when I was a kid, I was secretly so happy whenever we didn't catch fish. Suddenly, what appeared to be like a tsunami from underneath exploded. It was like, like when a deep wave you know, hits the seafloor shelf and then it's much shallower and so it creates that tsunami. But 
this was like an explosion from underneath the water. And then I realized a whale was surfacing. Whale watching happens at the pier, and there are telescopes and binoculars to view them, but this whale was close enough to spray me. I, I couldn't believe it. It was this gray, huge humpback whale. I can't even tell you how long it was. And then it just went back under. And it didn't surface again until it was way out. And I was at the southwest corner of the pier. And the whale was actually coming from the beach side. It was incredibly unusual. The souvenir shop, bait shop attendant, was closing the umbrellas on the observation deck a little while later. And she shouted out to me, any luck? I said, no, but I did just see a whale. And she said, oh, way out there? And I said, no, right here. And she said, oh my God, that's fantastic. I can't believe that. Are you serious? Then she said, well, that was somebody saying hello because we never see whales that close. I took that as my cue and packed up. I gave the leftover bait to the pier custodian and washed off my knife, bucket, reel. Rinse all the salt water off, although it will corrode, Brantley. And I headed to the car, stopping at the beach to watch some of the surfing. And watching the surfers, I thought how people pontificate about the sea. It's so beautiful and tranquil and how it gives them all these mystical properties. And yet for me, the sea is widely unpredictable, turbulent, and dangerous. And when I got home, I washed everything off. And what I couldn't wash, I sanitized and sprayed down. I wanted nothing that reminded me remotely of fish in the sea. Part three. The whale haunted me for two days, so I went back to the pier on Sunday, on a very busy Sunday. And I had to park way down PCH, like a mile away. And the pier was way too crowded, although I could see that fisherman out there in what was my spot the other day. So I sat on the beach and I just laid out, which is much more my style. But then I started to get restless as I watched surfers, and then I laid there some more, and I could see a fishing boat out there. Then I thought, you know, it's okay to just sit at the beach. It's not something to be ashamed of because you don't want to rush out and fish. But then there were like far too many kids screaming and running around, jumping in the water, and now I realized it's not all my father's fault that I've avoided the beach. I just got angry seeing couples together paddling on boards and realized how left out I feel at the beach. I'm an observer who's not really content to sit back and watch. Of course, part of me likes relaxing, and then part of me just feels I can't participate. And at that moment, I got up and I walked across PCH to the surf shop. The surf shop offers surfing lessons, and I walked upstairs. It's above a fish grill. And then I panicked and ran back down the stairs and pretended I was looking for the fish grill. <laughs> it's for 30 years I've wanted to take surfing lessons, but I always have that voice that says, you can't do it. And then there I was, standing there on PCH. I took a deep breath, and I went back up. It's not a fancy surf shop. Not run down, just kind of funky. I talked to Chris for a while, the manager there, and I decided, book a lesson now. Pay for it in advance, even though the water at this point didn't look like it'd be right again with an instructor until next Sunday. And I asked Chris every question I could think of, and he really got a kick out of my beginner's mind at 54. Still in my mind was a question about the whale, and I needed somebody to confirm what I thought, so I told him about the whale sighting, and he could not believe it. 
He said, we never see them that close. They do come up this time of year. They follow the channel, but never this close. And then he said, well, that was a sign of something. I walked out. I think I'll be okay. Maybe I won't like surfing. I mean, I won't know until I do it. But really, my fears were about being bullied by other surfers. And Chris told me that they knew the surfers and the locals and not to worry about that. And then as I walked back down to the beach, I watched all the kids surfing. Kids who did not know it was not okay to fail and fall over and over. And then I started to walk back up PCH. And I took a left because there was the Adamson house, which I was supposed to work at once. But then the event was called off or something. And I didn't realize I could just go in there. It was just open to the public. And I walked in toward the grounds. And it was so beautiful. There were rabbits all over the place. And I guess not much else except beautifully maintained hedges and the ocean. And clean, nice public restrooms, by the way, which may have been my most important discovery. And then I walked over the bridge, over that lagoon, which I've driven over hundreds of times, but this time I really saw the pelicans and the marsh and the ponytailed hiker using a walking cane. And then the mountains behind me for the first time. It's like I saw everything for the first time. And then I walked some more around a wildlife preserve. And then I walked some more because I felt like I could, and I did, mile after mile. After sunset, I was driving back. The Ferris wheel was lit up on the Santa Monica Pier. Of course, there was traffic on PCH. I reflected on that pier and its blue lights, which were the color of my father's eyes. My father was a deeply wounded man. And the way he reacted that day when I said to him what I said, I thought of those blues in his eyes. I realized he was just doing the best he could. In that moment, he accepted some responsibility and he stopped fishing. I don't think he ever mentioned fishing again. I don't know why I feel like I'm starting a new chapter. It was just a whale. A whale that went on its way out to sea. The whale moved on wherever he was going and somehow he's letting me do the same. suppose that's my ending. It's not quite as wrapped up as the judge. See you next week.